1: Do it! Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 274 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Andrea. Hi,
2: buddy. Hi. How you doing? Good.
1: I didn't want to do another intro by myself, so I made you come in so you can talk with me.
2: Okay, that's fair.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, today's episode is going to be an interview I do with Alex London. Uh, he wrote a book called Black Wings Beating, which is all about high stakes falconry, and there's magic. And all sorts of really cool stuff, um,
2: like birds.
1: Yeah, yeah, like falcons. Like, like
2: the people like, at like the zoo or like Animal Kingdom who hold their arm out. And... Yeah, exactly. Okay. That
1: that like caw. That's I don't, know, I don't I... know
2: if that's what a falcon sounds <laughs> like, like. Falcon. I don't know. Is that that's it? I mean, it screams <laughs> falcon as it attacks its prey. Every
1: animal. Like, <laughs> eagle. Eagle. Ooh, like from Scrubs.
2: There you go. Oof,
1: that was all over the place. Um, no, I it was one of those, it's one of those ideas where when he explained it to me i just looked at him like how did you think of that um but yeah, he, t- he tells this really crazy story about like he got to go do falconry as Ooh. part of his research stuff so all sorts of cool stuff um so that's the interview i did that in, in new york uh a while ago and his book is now out so you can go get it and it's a ya saga it's the beginning of uh, it's the first one so that's that um how have you been andrea how are you doing just
2: pregnant still pregnant still pregnant yeah not not the first baby Right. this no, is a new baby wow <laughs> can that, you imagine
1: quinn would be fully baked sorry if you don't want me telling your daughter's name to That's people fine. but i mean it's just a new late my sister says that she never like when her kids were first born they never she never wanted them to have like their names out on social media and then all of a sudden she just started sharing pictures on instagram i was like i guess we're cool then i guess yeah so um but yeah you are still pregnant
2: yeah. Um, Get winded, winded walking upstairs, so fun!
1: Wow, when's that? What's that baby due?
2: February thirteenth. That's so long from now. I know. And if she's anything like her sister, it'll be like the end of February. Mm. I'll be in my house by then. Well, maybe. God willing.
1: <laughs> maybe. um Yeah. It was first. It was like Jill's getting married and I'm moving the house, and it was going to be around the same time. And then that that came and went. And then our good friend Christina was going to have a baby and it's like oh but you're going to be in your house by the time I come back from <laughs> maternity leave and that's not going to happen so
2: maybe by the by the time I come back from maternity leave you'll be in your house I, oh my
1: god if I'm not <laughs> I won't be here because I have like oh, I'll have gone on the lamb. um are you reading anything fun right now
2: um I'm actually finishing Catwoman Soul Stealer by Sarah J Moss oh so good Sarah Bay Moss Sarah
1: it's really good. It's really good. Have you had the other ones, like the other uh, I read Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm.
2: And then nothing against the other two, but I don't really care about Batman and Superman. That's okay. I that was Wait, here for the, the females. Who did the Superman one? I don't. I'm putting
1: it on the spot. I'm sorry. I don't know I didn't know about that one.
2: I know Marie Lou, I think, did Batman. Isn't it Bat- I
1: thought it was Batwoman?
2: No, it's Batman. Hmm. And Batman. I don't remember who did Superman. It's a guy. That's okay. Did you know that there's
1: a a Batwoman show coming out? Or Batgirl? Lady,
2: Ruby Rose, right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. I will watch that one with my wife. Will you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because of Ruby Rose.
2: (laughs) At least you're going to watch it.
1: Like one of the most beautiful humans on the planet. Just flawless. Um, Do you know what you're going to read next? I didn't prep you on any of this. I don't know what I'm going to read next. Probably
2: something folly.
1: Yeah. I... Like, I got the new Kirsten White book about yes. Frankenstein, which I got, like, freaked out about. Um, but And I'm, I got
2: to feel. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I got to well, I, was,
1: No, the, so the new Kirsten White book, it, the cover feels like a frankenstein kind of, like, Yeah, skin. like, where the stitches
2: are, it's, like, bumpy.
1: Yeah, they did a really good job with the design of it. And so they asked, they sent me an email, basically, like, hey, do you want a copy of this book? And so I said yes. But it sent me like the hardcover, like the, it's like rose gold and it's beautiful. Um, go on our Instagram. You can see an awesome picture of it. And I'll, you
2: can't touch it, but you can see
1: You guys can't touch it. <laughs> you can go to the store and buy it and touch it if you want. So I should, uh, this is the part where I should tell you to go to the library or a digital library, but the book is really cool. You want to feel it. Trust me. Um, go,
2: go feel it at your local library <laughs> and then go check it out through Overdrive. Yeah,
1: and then once you've <laughs> read it through us and loved it, then go buy it and help out Kirsten. There you go. Um, boom. I'm reading a book called A Taste for Monsters. I just started this morning. It's by Matthew J. Kirby, and it's in London in the 1800s. And Jack the Ripper is doing his Jack the Rippery stuff, just
2: murdering prostitutes, <laughs> murdering
1: prostitutes. <laughs> and the main character's name is Evelyn, and she is um, horribly disfigured because she had this accident in this match uh, matchstick factory. So, like, the lower half of her face is all disfigured. And she starts working in this like hospital, and she was working with the Elephant Man, like she's helping the guy, the famous like Joseph Merrick. Who's
2: bringing all of them in? Yeah, there's a lot
1: going on. Oh, there's more. <laughs> so she's like tending to Joseph Merrick, and they form this bond because they both are disfigured, and they can understand each other's speech really well, and all this stuff. And they they form this bond, and then with Jack the Ripper murdering people, apparently. Joseph and Evelyn start getting, like, haunted by the ghosts of the people that Jack the Ripper is murdering. Ooh! This book has a lot going on. I've just started it. It's really good so far. Um,
2: Murder, ghosts, disfigurement? Yeah. I, I mean, what more could a girl want?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> um, so it's really, really good so far. And I'm also listening to all of the old Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot books. I decided I'm gonna do all of them.
2: Yeah. Like
1: four in and they're so good. Guys, this is how many are there? There's like thirty seven but it's confusing because oh there's a lot of them that are like Murder on the Orient Express or the ABC Murders where they're full stories. But then there's also short stories that like are part of it. And I'm listening to the out order because I'm just listening to them as they become available at our <laughs> library. So, for example, the fourth one I listened to was the last ever Hercule a book where he dies. But I was like, I know he dies, so.
2: Spoiler. Yeah.
1: Yeah, spoiler alert. Um,
2: it's no, it's got to be older than 50. Oh, God, yeah, I know.
1: It's super old. They're really old. It's a
2: 100-year-old spoiler, right? Yeah,
1: I know. I'm sorry. But they're so good. And if people have ever – I never read – like, I read – and then there were none, and Murder on the Orient Express, but I never read the rest of them. Right. But if you're a audiobook listener, which I am, the majority of them are, like, six to seven hours long, and I listen at, like, one and a half speed. So it basically takes me, like, four hours. Yeah,
2: I, li- I listened to Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. And, yeah, I think I did it in, like, a work day.
1: Yeah, it's great. So I'm just, like, I got through three of them yesterday, and, or not yesterday. That had been crazy. Last week. <laughs> and they're so fun. And so now I am annoying my wife with, like... Um, like, oh, you know it would be crazy? And she's like, are you going to do some absurd, like, Hercule Poirot response to how you're going to make dinner tonight? i like, no. Yes.
2: Let's see, but who's better? Him, Sherlock, or Nancy?
1: Um, I prefer him. Sherlock always, to me, comes off as kind of a jerk. <laughs> Although it's Hercule Poirot,
2: Just I guess. Jerk in general or the Robert De Niro version a jerk um,
1: <laughs> no I just feel like it was Shakespeare did I say Robert De Niro yeah that's meant not Robert, who I met. met Robert Downey Jr
2: <laughs> Rob, Robert D yeah he, no you I, got it
1: I don't know to me he's always just like very cold and rude to everybody whereas with Paro at least it seems like when he does when he withholds information from his partner at least it's, it's a like playful and yeah there's a reason so this is me breaking down the Hercule Paro <laughs> books after reading four <laughs> of them
2: I expect your thesis in a week.
1: Yep, I'll get right to it. <laughs> hey, within a week, I could probably read really like six more of these guys. Um, cool. Do you have other things you want to talk about? It's like having you come on. I
2: don't know. No. Okay. Uh, and ask and me in like 20 minutes, and I'll be like, oh!
1: Yeah, we'll start recording again. <laughs> um, if people want to get a hold of us, you can go to pro- professionalbooknerds.com. Uh, you can email us from there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Um, I think those are all the the, the links and everything. If you haven't yet, please go rate us on iTunes like I begged you to do last episode. I don't know if any of you guys did, but please do. Someone's thirsty. It helps people find (laughs) us. Thirsty, Jesus. (laughs) It helps people find us more, and that's always nice. Um, Okay, well, Andrea, thank you for joining me today. You are welcome. I hope you guys all enjoy this interview with Alex London on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Mm -hmm. Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I am super excited to be sitting down at Book Expo America with Alex London, who has written a book, who has written books for readers of all ages, including his Wild One series, his wildly popular YA books Proxy and Guardian, and his adult books. One day the soldiers came. One day the soldiers came, and far from Zion, correct? Yes, I names, yes. Right? That's what I, thought. Well, <laughs> I haven't
0: heard those names in a while. I know.
1: So, and actually, well, I actually want—I have some questions about. Oh, them good. Too. Oh, good. Uh, his next book, a YA fantasy titled Black. Wings Beating is now available. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having
0: me. I'm so excited about this.
1: Yeah, I a little peek behind the curtain for people you just mentioned. This is kind of the first time we've actually talked about the book because we're talking yeah, I have months before it comes out
0: I have talked to my my husband my agent my editor yeah. some people who work for Macmillan uh-huh. and you were the first like non-connected to me yeah. human I've <laughs> ever spoken to this book about this book too
1: it's always so weird to do these especially the in-person interviews were so much fun because they tend to be either at these types of shows or like the ALA shows where it is so far in advance for the books and I'll talk to the authors and I feel like everyone's always like yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to say. We'll see how it goes. Yeah,
0: fine. yeah. Can you see? Can you describe the terror in my oh, eyes he, right now to oh, your I'm listeners? telling you guys,
1: Alex is very nervous <laughs> right now. Um, can you maybe yeah, kind of kick us off by giving people an introduction to the book in case they haven't heard about it yet?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Black Wings Beating, it's an epic fantasy mm-hmm. set in a world of cutthroat falconry. Yes. A world where birds are sacred, the economy, the religion, everything is kind of bird-based. Yeah. And the top of that hierarchy in that society Mm -hmm. is falconers. People who hunt with birds, call them to their fists. Uh And it's a story about a brother and sister in that uh, world who are coerced Mm -hmm. to going uh, on a dangerous quest to capture uh, a mythic bird called the ghost eagle, Mm -hmm. which is the most deadly bird. (laughs) uh, And it killed their father. And they have to go on this quest to capture this bird. And uh, they each go for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. And things are not what they appear on this, this epic...
1: And then things killer bird.
0: ensue. I've been trying to come up with the, like... like
1: the you know, people do pitch. the, what's
0: the... Yeah, and I don't have an elevator pitch, but you yeah. know how people do the, like, what's the... It's blank meets blank. Uh-huh. Oh, it's like, eat, pray, love, but <laughs> meets, meets the Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've been trying to... And I'm like, you know, what's sort of Lord of the Rings, except instead of a ring, mm. it's a quest for a giant killer bird, and instead of hobbits, it's queer people.
1: You know what? There are large birds in... Lord of the Rings. They That's have true. Jet, they they the ride eagles. around on them.
0: Yeah, on the eagles. Yeah, you saying, would not want to ride around on a ghost eagle. No, in in Black Wings Beating, they so they will mess you up. Yeah.
1: Well, and also there's uh, there's like the MacGuffin of the eagles in Lord of the Rings. And everyone's like, why do not you just fly it all the way to the? Pumpkin? Yeah, it been much shorter. Book. Oops. <laughs> um. So I won't ask the lazy interviewer question like, <laughs> what inspires you? And then Thank I, you. I hate when people ask that. But I have to know why falconry? Because that is such a unique jumping off point. For, yeah.
0: Sorry. Um. So it came from a couple places kind of simultaneously in the way like ideas are weird, right? They're mm-hmm. like they're almost like like little tiny metal shavings mm-hmm. and like one comes and you don't know if it's an idea yet. It's just yeah. a little spark and then something else sticks to it like they're magnetized oh. and they keep sticking. And if, if enough little ideas, a little shavings yeah. stick, you know, it's a novel. So they all kind of happen at once. Yeah. Um, and falconry was where it started. And I've had to reconstruct this. I was on a flight to the Philippines for uh-huh. a, a book event and I fell asleep. And I woke up and I put on my phone. Why a novel set in world of falconry? And I, I recently went and found that note. I was cleaning out my phone. Uh-huh. And I was like, why did I, when, like, what was happening? Yeah, what I woke in up my from brain? a dream. And I realized I was listening to the audiobook uh-huh. of um, T.H. White's The Once and Future King. Yeah. And in, a, in the beginning part of it, uh-huh. uh, they're going falconing. And it's a whole story about falconing and falconry. Uh huh. And I realized this thing with these, these birds, uh-huh. these alien creatures, they're like dinosaurs. I mean, their minds are so different from human minds. Um, you call them to your fist and train them to do stuff, but they're not like dogs. You can't condition them. Right. Uh, and they can fly off at any time and leave you. Yeah. And there are people who put small fortunes into their birds, and they yeah. love these birds, and the birds can leave at any time. And, to me, and they can also rip your face off uh, at any time. And so to me, that felt like a great metaphor for what it's like being a teenager. Uh, like your friends are these alien minds that you cannot understand and you don't know if you fully trust them Uh and you desperately want to like stay attached to them but you feel like one wrong move and they'll fly away and at any moment they can rip your face off Um, and it it just reminded me of like Unrequited Love it just felt so authentic this feeling of like want for something that is so elevated above you
1: yeah,
0: uh, that you just want to call down to Earth and capture and and it can fly away on you. And it, it just felt like such a powerful thing that I was like, i got to write a story in that.
1: I love the idea of considering teenagers basically untrainable birds. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's so perfect. And well, what I feel like, so...
0: Which makes, I guess, their teachers the rabbits. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. 100 on. <laughs> swooping down on them. Yeah.
1: What I have to say, I, I've seen all these reviews and blurbs and comments that speak so highly of the writing and the story in Black Wings beating but then they all end with like also OMG birds like (laughs) oh my god and that makes me laugh but I I feel like especially when it comes to YA books because I, I think YA and YA fantasy enables people to kind of play in the space of you can take anything you want as like the hook Mm-hmm. The talent. I guess I should have said talent. <laughs> that would have made way, way more <laughs> sense. If you can take like the thing that like okay, you can tell people this is a book about cutthroat falconry, and like they're like like that's gonna be enough to pique their interest. But really, at the end of the day, I think it's still all about the characters and the world you build. And I feel I feel like like. That's going to be the most important thing that people
0: take away. Yeah, I mean, books, we don't read 4,000 pages of Harry Potter because we desperately are concerned with the fate of the muggles. Exactly. We read it because we care about Harry and Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. Um, and for yeah. me, the other, I was talking about like ideas sticking to each other, yeah. the other thing that stuck to that notion of falconry were the characters, the mm-hmm. two, the brother and sister, Bry- Bryson and Kylie, who, this, who it's about. They came to me kind of very quickly, uh-huh. um, and I knew I sort of knew who they were.
1: So, actually, then, for what it's worth, Harry Potter is a bird, Hedwig. Yeah. I, I yeah. care very much about there's more birds and things than I care. <laughs> yeah, can there's a lot of is. birds and yeah, things. They're never the, the focal point, but um,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I just took what was always in the background and just look, like, hey birds. You brought it to the forefront. It. Yeah, just, yeah. It's all about
1: the birds. So when you're building out a, a fantasy story like this, what tends to come first for you? Is it the characters or is it the world and then trying to decide what the
0: story is going to be in that. One. Uh, so it all the the story is sort of the last thing, like the plot, like mm-hmm. the incidents, what happens. That comes definitely last. Yeah. For me, it, it starts with a concept. So I woke up from that dream on a flight and was like, <laughs> so, "Why novel? Falconry, Falconry. world. Uh, birds are cool." <laughs> uh, and then the characters kind of come at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, they're indistinguishable. They're they're in not indistingu- They're inseparable.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, especially I think in genre fiction, because the world is a character mm-hmm. in in sci-fi and in fantasy. Yeah. The world.
1: Oh, 100 And I think
0: actually in contemporary fiction, realistic yeah. fiction too, the world plays on people, but we're not as acutely yeah. aware of it because it's just the world we live in. Right. Um, so I, the characters come as products of their world, mm-hmm. and then my job is to give them problems in their world that feel authentic mm-hmm. uh, and organic to their world and, and, and see what they do within yeah. their within their confines. So they come simultaneously. So mm-hmm. I knew I had this falconry world, and I knew I wanted a character who wanted to be a great falconer mm-hmm. and just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so, it, so Bryson, the brother, uh, has this dream. He's sort of living in his abusive father's shadow. His father, you know, was spoiler alert, brutally disemboweled by a ghost eagle. Um, <laughs> And it's in the first chapter. I'm not really spoiling anything. I think when to <laughs>
1: say spoiler, it's just a preview. I feel a like preview. I feel like you're the one person in the world who's allowed to get away yeah, with this. Yeah, I can say spoils. whatever I want yeah. that happens
0: in this book. Exactly. So yeah. So he's living in the shadow of of uh, this world that values falconry more than anything, mm-hmm. and this father who thought he was a good for nothing loser. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. he is trying to be great on those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a real problem for young people in general and for me certainly, it was me kind of writing my own issues of trying to achieve success by someone else's standards Mm -hmm. Um, and so Bryson, I knew I wanted this character who was striving and didn't know he was striving on the wrong path like it's not his path, he has his own path and he's always going to be frustrated until he realizes he has a different journey to take and his sister also came to me I was like, she's someone who doesn't want that path at all whatever this society values, she's great at she has a magical gift for falconry that she runs from um, for her own reasons, guilt, shame, fear. Yeah. And uh, and so the two of them who are both running from from their sort of authentic truth mm-hmm. in this world, that yep. came to me at the same time as the world, and I was like, okay, let's have two kids running from themselves
1: right.
0: within the context of this brutal world, forced to face yeah. their kind of deep flaws. Well, I
1: think that's a, that is the real part that young adult readers, especially when they're teenagers, like they, it's so important for them to have a character they can relate to like, it doesn't matter how far out there the world is and how fantastical the atmosphere is if you can create characters that are somewhat mm. grounded and a teenager trying to figure out you know their sexuality or a teenager trying to meet the demands of their parents and not being able to yeah. those things those character traits can take place in any world and exactly Stick to.
0: Exactly, I think it's essential in, in writing about other worlds that aren't ours mm-hmm. and that are unfamiliar, you know, that we don't live in, to make sure that the emotional truths are grounded and are real and feel real. Yeah. Um, so I very much draw my characters from from my own emotional memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, like none of the things that happen to these characters happen to me in yeah. real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, except for I did some falconry as research, so some bird stuff.
1: Oh, we're getting there. You about
0: that, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but. Using those emotional truths, what it's what it feels like to, to love someone who doesn't love you back, and to somehow make that lo- you love them even more, even though you know you're like basically like crucifying yourself on your love of them, right. uh, and the pain of that, uh-huh. um, to feel like there's a a world that has these obligations on you that you just don't want, but you have to live up to everyone knows what those things feel like yeah. uh, so I definitely dug deep into those yeah. truths spend a lot of time with my therapist talking yeah. about plot <laughs> talking about plot points in my books <laughs>
1: yeah. Some people go, go to editors yeah. I went to my
0: therapist yeah, it's great I mean I'm paying him to listen might yeah. as well get yeah, some work yeah, done said, while we're in there listen
1: this is all confidential for you doctor you can't uh, say anything yeah. but I'm going to write all about
0: exactly, this exactly exactly well it, it became a problem with this book because it gets into some deep heavy emotional stuff that I didn't realize I was processing mm-hmm. for myself and I realized that my character dealt with it before I did yeah. so like he figured it out and got through it and I was at the end of the book and was like wait now I guess I have to do this in my own life is like figure this stuff out
1: well and I think that's so interesting you say that I I feel like a lot of times authors do obviously draw on their own experiences and it can be very therapeutic I think it's a lot it's very similar to comedians who when they're doing their stand-up comedy acts they'll drudge up stuff that could be construed as really difficult and instead of just letting it bury themselves emotionally they make it funny and they turn into their living i I feel like authors can do the same thing like instead of looking at anything that happened in your past being like that's gonna just be baggage for me for the rest of my life like you can turn into something powerful that can not only be therapeutic for you but can help other people as well yeah and that that to me is fantastic um okay falconry yeah i so you had the idea of okay cut falconry but What research went into
0: this? So I started, I read a lot of books. I read about birds, I read about falconry, I read about the history of that, and like most cultures on earth have at some point practiced falconry. so So, uh, The world in Black Wings beating isn't based on any one culture, it's sort of all of them. Yeah. Uh, And then my own fictional stuff. Um, Uh But the equipment and the vocabulary is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. You call, I didn't end up doing this in the book because it got too confusing in the manuscript, but falconry equipment is called furniture. No way. So it's like, go get your falconry furniture. And that's like the hoods and the, the, ho- the straps. And they're all called furniture. It's so cool. Like, I love what? the hoods so much. Um, yeah, the hoods are great. And yeah. they, they're they're beautiful. I'm hoping fans, like, make hoods. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I'm super excited about the fan art for this series. There's yeah. a lot to play with. You hear that, fans? <laughs> that's right. Go make on. art with my we'll blessing. Go out and make the uh, art. Go out and make hoods. <laughs> um, so then I did a lot of research and realized there's no way to do this without doing it. Right. So I found a, a master falconer, which is a thing,
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, to, to become a falconer in the U.S., you have to get a license, you have yeah. to apprentice for a while, um, you have to get a license to uh, capture birds from uh-huh. the wild or buy them from a breeder, and you have a limited number that you can get each year to protect, you know, the, the hawk and falcon species. Right. And uh, so I found this guy in rural Pennsylvania, Mike Dupuy, uh, who has a hawk food business and breeds raptors.
1: That is the... It has to be the best. It's pretty cool. Title of a job. I've ever he
0: does seen. so that he goes to Harry Potter fairs and uh-huh. things, and Renaissance fairs with his uh, like Eurasian eagle owl, or his, yeah. and he does like a Hedwig demonstration about Harry Potter. So he me? does book-related stuff. He's awesome, and he he teaches falconers and talks about conservation. So I went out to his farm. I met his cast, uh, his cast of raptors, oh my God. Uh, falcons and hawks and owls. Uh, Held a couple on my wrist, uh-huh. and then he took his his uh, most tame one, JJ, uh, the Cooper's hawk, and we went outside. And I held a like severed up chicken leg uh-huh. thing in my glove, and he put the hawk on my wrist. And he's like, "All right, toss your arm up in the air." I toss my arm, and the bird flies off my arm, goes up, circles around in the sky, settles on a tree, and he's like, "All right, hold your fist out and call to it." And this. Dinosaur swoops down from the sky and opens its wings just before hitting your fist and lands on it And they weigh nothing. It's, I, it looked so big and then yeah. it gets on your fist and it weighs nothing. I was shocked um, And then it just, you know, tugged at the meat and then I had to slip the meat away so it stays hungry They call it keen. You want to keep it keen because it won't fly if it's not hungry uh-huh. And then do it again. You toss it up and it flies It was the coolest feeling in the world to call this creature from the sky and have it listen uh, I I just I I've never felt a thrill like that before.
1: I, I wish this was a video podcast so everyone could just see like my like shit he's, eating <laughs> grin. Yeah.
0: is a giant smile. He's he's there's I like a little tears in the I'm eyes so a little bit. So happy
1: right now. So did you did you think see this once or? Yeah, it was just one
0: once? day. Uh, I want to do it again. He offered me to come back uh, to go hunting with him because yeah. we didn't actually hunt anything. And we tried to capture a hawk. He had a license for one left, and we saw one flying over. He's like, you want to try and go get it? I was like, "Yeah, I do." So he took this trap with a little mouse in it, and uh-huh. he handed it to me. He's like, "When I say, throw that out of the window of our truck," and we drove around these fields, keeping our eye on the hawk above to wait. But then we lost it in a in a tr- over the tree line. So,
1: okay, because
0: I, well, I um, they don't... can see from thousands of feet up, yeah. uh, So they could see the little mouse in the cage right. in the field, and it would dive down and grab it, and it would get stuck so in the trap. So
1: they're caught from the wild, so they're not like they don't raise.
0: Summer bred and summer are okay. wild caught. Uh, the wild caught ones are called passage hawks. Uh. And the bread hawks,
1: And there's only there's only a couple of different there's only, there's only there's not like you can't just go and search for any type of hawk. Like there has to be certain hawks for well, they have and different, different
0: they have different traits, different personalities on them. Yeah. Although I don't I think personality is a weird word, because I don't wanna I don't wanna personify them. Yeah. One of the places the idea for this book came from is that um, their minds are so different from ours that I don't think we can apply human emotions, human Mm -hmm. thoughts. Like, dogs have affection, right? Like, that's known. And dogs get sad and dogs get jealous and they've done research about this stuff. Being attacked by a mosquito. Yeah, seriously. Uh, How did a mosquito get in here? I don't know. Um, Actually,
1: ironically, I saw a bird earlier. Oh, yeah, there were pigeons in here. Yeah.
0: Um, But uh, hawks and falcons and eagles and Mm -hmm. and, uh, owls don't have those sorts of humans. They have other relations and other things, but we don't fully understand what goes on in their mind. Right. So the idea of this, like, alien mind, but different... Species have different traits, different reputations. So, like the um, the goshawk, which is what T. H. White, who wrote The Once and Future King, trained. And then uh, there's a wonderful memoir about his, or a wonderful um, biography of him, mm-hmm. about training a goshawk called H's for Hawk.
1: Yeah. That oh, came yeah, out last yeah, yeah,
0: year yeah. by Helen McDonald. Right. Yeah. That is amazing. It's sort of her story of training a hawk to get over the death of her father, uh-huh. and T. H. White's story of training a hawk to get over his kind of miserable life at the end. Um, and the goshawk is known as, like, the lunatic of the hawk. Word. Uh-huh. They're, like, murderous, bloodthirsty beasts, they're yeah. known as. And then there's ones that are more gentle, and there's uh-huh. sort of the kestrel is kind of known as the peasant's hawk. Uh-huh. Um, there's there's a nickname for the kestrel that is um, that I can't really say. It was a medieval nickname. It's a wind... I'll spell it, although that really doesn't. Uh, can I curse on this? Who's the audience? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called a wind... A different word for the act of intercourse.
1: Uh, okay. A, okay, yeah. A wind... I, something.
0: Doer. Something weird. <laughs> Except not do. do. Yeah. Uh, because that's how they fly and they act. It's very weird. So there's all these nicknames. There's all this lingo about these different animals. It's very cool. I could talk about this stuff all day. Oh, They're I could listen to you talk about this stuff uh, all day.
1: This is incredible. I, this isn't the first time you've had animals featured in your books,
0: though, right? Right. I first, And a kid, a fifth grader, pointed this out to me about uh-huh. my books. She's like, you have animals in, like, all your books. Yeah. Why is that? And I don't know. Um, well, I think I'm just fascinated by we share the world with these other mm-hmm. sentient beings yeah and, well, and I think a lot
1: of the time like I I'm a glass half full type of person but I mean so often you'll see people doing things and you're just like uh, you know what I, I just can't with humans today yeah, I, yeah. I just want to hang out with my dogs or I just yeah. want to go to a, up the woods and just like see some wild deer and, like, Well, I, I also
0: think We know often what it is to be human in contrast to, like, when we insult people, we're like, oh, they're beastly, or when certain politicians want to dehumanize people, Mm -hmm. they call them animals. Yeah. It is a brutal thing to do because we really only defined our humanity by, oh, we're not like the other beasts. So I think throughout time, we have always used animals to define what is human, Mm -hmm. um, and we define ourselves against them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why people fight against the idea of like animal personhood. Like there's trials about apes. Like are they people? People, yeah. Um, And some people really resist recognizing them because then we lose a sense of what makes us so special. Yeah. And I think that relationship is fascinating to explore. And
1: I think that's why books like uh, like The Art of Racing in the Rain, or I think there's one called um, like Through the Eyes of a Dog or something. It's and people get these books all about how dogs are perceiving. Yeah, the human world that they're kind of in, and I feel like Lord are always fascinated because it is. We, like, I have two full-grown dogs who I love more than like 99 percent of the people in my life, and I will <laughs> tell the people in my life that too, and they understand <laughs> uh, that.
0: I am definitely a dog lover, <laughs> but at the same
1: time, I also really don't, like. I can tell that they have affection for me, but I that could just be because I'm the one who pours the food and takes them on the walks, right? So it is that that's always that interest, that like inner relate interpersonal inner quote unquote mm-hmm. personal relationship with animals where it's like trying to figure out okay really I'm just training them but is there more going on right
0: do they do they think about me the way I do about them or what yeah and that's the story in in Black Wings Beating that's the question Bryson the the boy has to ask constantly right uh, because he just doesn't know his relationship with these birds but he desperately wants them to love him
1: exactly (laughs) All right. so as I mentioned well you've also done some adult writing as well yeah and the books you know one Day the Soldiers Came, and Far From Zion, they're very much like globe-trotting stories. And I know that YA stuff is what's coming out now, but like, I feel like these stories are so important and very... They're both nonfiction.
0: Yeah, I started as a journalist. I was just
1: going to say, uh, they came from, your, uh, from a journalistic side of things. So, one, do you still do the journalistic stuff in your life now? No, not really. Okay. Do you think that the journalism aspect of your life has influenced your writing
0: I know that it's wildly different yes absolutely 100% yeah. um, I never would have written for kids had I not been a journalist uh-huh. uh, my beat was largely child soldiers uh-huh. um, and so I spent a lot of time with young people whose lives were kind of as epic as as anything yeah. Homer wrote mm-hmm. you know uh, or he was an oral poet but you know yeah, anything anyone, anyone wrote anything he said yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point point. <laughs> um, uh, and and I saw the role that stories played in their lives and storytelling, and they're very difficult lives in, in yeah. most cases, um, and how stories were still a way for them to make meaning. Yeah. And I realized kind of that I didn't want to be writing about them anymore. I wanted yeah. to be writing for them. Yeah. So I never would have found my way. But I think as a, as a in terms of the craft of writing, I learned, first of all, I learned how to meet a deadline by being a journalist, uh-huh. which is extremely helpful as a, as a novelist. Yeah. Uh, and I learned how to just, like, produce, get the words out. Uh-huh. But I also learned how to take someone's real life and their lived experience and their setting and their emotion and turn it into words on a page. Yeah. And so writing fiction is kind of the same thing, except instead of taking someone's real life, I'm taking an imagined life yeah. and turning it into words on the page and making it feel true. So it's the same job. It's yeah. just whether it happens in the world or happens in my imagination.
1: I imagine one of the main differences would be that, like, in journalism, you're, learn, you're, you're learned. You're, t- you're taught to understand, like, don't use ten words when one will, will suffice. So, right, like, I get maybe. to be a little more florid. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> thing I, did, was there kind of that adjustment period where you're like, oh, no, no, I'm building a world. I need to have some wonder and whimsy and, and Well, it's all about the, the finding
0: the right voice. So yeah. for certain kinds of articles, called for a certain voice. Certain huh. kind of books call for a certain voice. Yeah. So, like, I've written silly middle grade novels, yeah. you know, and those have a very different voice than my YA stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so it all, it all, everything has its voice. A voice is a tool. It's not yeah. like a thing you find once and you just use forever. Absolutely. Like, oh, I found my voice as an author. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really buy that. Yeah. I think every book has its voice that's mm-hmm. right for it, and every journal, piece of journalism has yeah. its voice. So, what
1: are the, what are like the types of books that you like to read? Are you I
0: read all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm writing, I tend not to read what I'm writing. So there's, I love YA fantasy, uh-huh. and now I have a stack of it that I can't be reading because I'm writing YA fantasy. Yeah. So now I'm reading a bunch of uh, uh, adult fiction. But uh, <laughs> uh, when I'm not actively writing, like, a new draft, then I'll read all the YA and middle grade that I've been missing. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: and is that sort of a not wanting to see, like, another, like, a world that someone else is kind of building? It's more I don't want
0: like... someone else's voice in my head. Yeah. Um, That's
1: interesting.
0: Just, I, I don't want to accidentally parrot. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're living in a golden age of young adult literature, and there's so yeah. many great writers yeah. writing great stuff. Yes. That, like, I don't, I don't want to get intimidated by the brilliant writers who are wow. writing brilliant books right now. And... Uh, I don't want to get distracted mm-hmm. and be like, start parroting their voices instead of my own.
1: Yeah. yeah. And we are in an awesome time for YA. YA fantasy specifically. Like, all you have to do, we're at Book Expo right now, all you have to do is walk around out in the lobby and you see 50-foot posters for like, people like Me Bardugo and like yeah. Russell Meyer and all these people that are just, yeah. you know, just monsters in the literary world, not just like the YA. The world. But, yeah. Like, so I... I'm such a, I will be a YA fantasy yeah. nerd my entire life.
0: It's a pretty so, cool community to be a part of. I feel thrilled to be that's welcomed so, into I, it. I'm glad you
1: said that because it absolutely, I, I feel like the YA community and the YA fantasy community especially, like going on Twitter and just seeing all of you, all of you people, all, all of you, all of you <laughs> authors. Uh, yeah. yeah no, no, so,
0: it, okay. it is. They're all of us people. Just
1: seeing all of you guys interact with each other and i just love the way that especially why fantasy authors tend
0: to lift each other up like it's i mean it's it's books it's books is a tough business right yeah. like asking someone to shell out 18 20 yeah. for a story you made up in your head usually uh-huh. sitting in your underpants like yep. uh that's a lot to ask for someone uh-huh. and, and it's hard um so we really do all sort of lean on each other and yeah. let it, when it's easier to take risks also knowing that you've got people have got your back mm-hmm. i i don't even think 10 years ago i could have published black wings beating if the community wasn't Around now, doing what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, I've got a queer hero in a in a genre Absolutely. fantasy novel for teens. Yeah. Um, and it's not about his queerness; it's just that's part of his identity. Yeah. And uh, and to know that like there's people who got my back uh-huh. uh, with that character, with, yeah. with if there's challenges to it uh, because of that. Yeah. It's just really nice. You feel like you're working with a net, and yeah. it's very comforting. Yeah.
1: So I um, love the fact that you know authors now can write he said like yes my hero is queer and that just happens to be part of him that's not the defining part of him the fact that you know there's so many diverse authors out there who will say like um, like Zerata Cordova writes these wonderful hispanic characters who again they're they're Latino and some of them are queer and it's like that's just like yeah. people exist like that and yeah. you don't have to be like oh wow that's what you, that's all that you are you're exactly. not a one character exactly so,
0: exactly yeah, uh, i i love that fact and it's been really interesting in my in my first YA novel proxy it was 2013 yeah. so that wasn't really done and it was like the only one when it came out. there were you know a few others but it was like uh-huh. people that was a thing to talk about now there's so many that like
1: yeah
0: it's a thrill to be in the marketplace with so many other queer action heroes yeah. you know and it got me, I was, I've been able to think about not just having a, a hero who happens to be queer, but what does that mean, not just for the hero, but for heroism? Yeah. Uh, so much in fantasy, I mean, Ursula Le Guin said this so well, uh, is, you know, men poking things with sharp yep. point, sharp sticks.
1: Absolutely.
0: And in writing a queer hero, mm-hmm. I, I tried to think, what is the alternative to that? I don't want him just... I don't want am just doing the same thing all the, like, straight white dudes in fantasy have done forever. Like, yeah. what does it mean to be a hero who has a different different way of doing heroism? He's yeah. not stabbing things to death with a sharp stick.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, he has to find new paths for heroism, and, and falconry is a great tool for that because yeah. you cannot... You can't be cruel to a falcon. Right. Like they're not. You can't even. You, know, you can scold a dog and be like, "No, no." Mm-hmm. You do that to a falcon. You even startle a falcon. It will fly it's off. Gone, it's yeah. gone. It's out of your life, and you cannot. And so they're murderous, killer birds. Yeah. You know they can just yeah. disembell- I mean, a falcon's pr- the pressure a falcon can put with its talons. Yeah. Can crush a rabbit's skull. <laughs> um. And so, like an eagle could actually like break human bones. Yeah. Uh. So they're powerful, but they're delicate. You have to be kind and uh-huh. gentle. And so the idea of this fantasy hero. Whose power comes through his gentleness mm-hmm. uh, and his ability to be gentle and yeah. comforting and to heal this creature um, and to help this creature, to me that was really powerful. Like you have to in a murderous violent cutthroat falconry world, Yeah, your victory but, is gonna come through your gentleness. Yeah, and he is, struggles with that because yeah. he's like he defines himself so by this masculine like, power, violence, mm-hmm. um, he's the son of a very violent man. Yeah. And so his struggle with that, like uh-huh. that his power, come, he just it's really fun, right? And then his sister, who who has a different journey uh, and a different struggle, yeah, um, has, has always tried to like not make an impact yeah. and, and not. She is gentle. She's a caretaker, and she doesn't realize that her power comes from her voice. She mm-hmm. can speak to these eagles. She has this this gift called the hollow tongue, which is the language of the eagles. And she needs to learn to speak and use it. And it is a terrifying, powerful, violent thing. So she sort of has to embrace her power, as he needs to embrace his gentleness.
1: Are you sure you haven't talked about this book? No, before, I'm feeling yeah? really because good about how you this are is going. Absolutely. <laughs> I, was just, was like, I, I keep
0: noting as I say stuff I'm like, "Hey, remember that? That was yeah, a good lie. His yeah, right. power it, comes from his gentleness. I should write that down. <laughs>
1: good. could be literally. I'm like the cover of this. That's, that's a blur, but that's like, the first time Alex I've ever Lerman said that. Like, just put it on the like on the I back. Should
0: doing that? Just, like, what did my mom do it? Today? Coolest moment of Bea mm-hmm. yesterday happened for me. Tay Diggs complimented my shoes, Shite and I feel up. like I need to put that on a book. Right? Yeah, like, Diggs nice shoes. My shoes. Yeah. That's
1: like that reminds me of. There is a. Episode of Thirty Rock when my favorite, yeah. I love that show. So when yeah. Liz Lemon, like wrote, she wrote I I don't remember if it's when she wrote Deal book. Breakers. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and of and Jack Daniel, he's his like blurb on the back is like. Of all of my employees, Liz Lemon numbers among them. Yes. And like, as he's saying it out loud, Liz is like mouthing the words so happily. I'm like, this is the most standard thing. Like, Tay Diggs so words, true. Like if, even if it's not in the book, that could be like, like yeah. a Twitter like, description. Yeah. Like Tay Diggs, wants to T- Tay Diggs
0: once liked my shoes. Oh,
1: that's amazing. Okay, so I want to talk to you for two more hours, but I don't think I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> so towards the end of our show, we do what we call the Nerd Nine. It's nine. Oh boy. Lighthearted questions are not rapid fire they never end okay. up they didn't, we, we would have people tell us please stop calling them rapid fire if you're lying to us they're not rapid fire because okay, we get on tangents
0: rapid fire is scary to me. but
1: they're not yeah uh-huh. so well, the first one is do you remember the last book you finished reading
0: yeah oh well I, I just read two at the same time which I never Perfect. do but yeah. I fell in love with both of them too quickly mm-hmm. um, I read both of them were grown up books <laughs> uh, oh no there were three so there was a young adult novel that comes out uh, in October uh huh called uh, The Spy with the Red Balloon uh-huh. by uh, Catherine Locke. Okay. It is alternate history of World War II with magic, uh, nuclear arms race, mm. um, magicians trying to stop the German nuclear bomb, and there are uh, lots and lots of queer teenagers fighting Nazis. It's amazing. Uh, there's Nazi punching, there's gay boys beating up Nazis. It's uh, great. The Spy with the
1: Red Balloon? The
0: Spy with the Red Balloon. Okay. By Catherine Locke. And then I read... Um, Circe by Madeline Miller Yes. an astonishing novel uh, mm-hmm. reimagining uh, and bringing to life Circe from the uh, the Odyssey yeah. uh, and from Greek mythology and then Richard Powers the overstory uh-huh. which if I like thinking about animals as other minds that opened my mind to thinking of trees and forests as yeah. minds they are their characters in this novel uh-huh. in a very authentic yeah. not like fantasy way it's a realistic novel yeah. to think of what is it what is it that we share this world with forests what if forests were beings mm-hmm with intention
1: yeah.
0: with ideas and with with a future that kind of reminds um, me of um, and it was amazing uh, Na- that kind
1: of reminds me of uh, Naomi Novik Naomi Novik's Uprooted it's a very much a fantasy novel but like the quote unquote villain for much of the novel you think is the forest is trees are uh, like out to get humans I've never, it's, never read that one it's, re- it's really good um, do you have a favorite place to read?
0: I read a lot. I read in bed. I read before bed, sort of every night. But also I just moved from New York City to uh, Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and I went from my office being a desk shoved into a corner by a closet (laughs) um, to having my own office with a fireplace and a couch in it. So it's um, a view over the trees where sometimes hawks land, one hawk specifically, uh, will land outside my window and just stare at me writing. I was like, yes, okay, I guess I was meant to live here and write this book. And so I will lie on this couch in front of the fireplace, even when it's not lit, when it's like 90 degrees out. I'm like, I'm lying in front of the fireplace. Uh I don't care that it's not on. I am reading this book. And it's... I'm
1: I'm telling you, you're actually going to have to come to our office in in, in, uh, Cleveland because we have where it's two stories and the top story is a lot of glass. And there's this like... We're right by what Cleveland called the metro parks. It's like our huge forest wonder. Like, Cleveland has this amazing amount of nature that people don't realize. And... Because of that, we have all these hawks and stuff, and they routinely land, like, just outside of our CEO's office. (laughs) So he'll be just doing work, and you'll just see this, literally, like you mentioned, a dinosaur (laughs) landing, and I'm like, and he doesn't even, like, flinch anymore, he's just like, it is. Apropos of nothing. Okay. (laughs) um, Do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading?
0: Yeah. It's ironic. Well, there were two. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, in fifth grade, um, Brian Jake's Red Wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, the talking mice, animals yes. were part of it. That was the first book I ever loved. When mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't a reader, that yeah. book made me a reader. Um, and then I wrote Brian a letter I when I was a kid saying how, like, I didn't like to read until I read his books, and he actually wrote me back.
1: That's wonderful.
0: And he encouraged me to keep using my imagination mm-hmm. and that maybe one day I could grow up to be a writer. He nailed and so that gave me the idea. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was in seventh grade when I was a frightened, closeted, gay teenager. Wow. Um, I read what I thought was my first ever queer novel. And it was... Uh, uh, the first time I ever saw myself represented in a book and it wasn't like a sad book about people getting beaten up or being kicked out it was a space adventure book it was Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, and I truly believe that this was a gay novel Mm -hmm. about these two boys Ender and Bean in love with each other and it it probably saved my life Um, it was the first time I saw myself as having a that I could be the hero yeah. of a story, that yeah. I could have space adventures. And of course, later, when I learned later in life about his homophobia, mm-hmm. I was shocked and horrified. Yeah. And it taught me a really valuable lesson. One, it made me want to write fantasy and sci-fi and mm-hmm. put gay characters in that, yeah. that didn't have to be invented by the reader. Yeah. But also it showed me that great books are smarter than their authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he did not intend for those characters to be read as gay, but I needed them to be. So yeah. I put myself into them. Yeah. And so I... I think great books leave space for their readers to bring what they need. Absolutely. And I hope at my best moments, my books leave room for people to bring what they need into them. And they know more than I do. I
1: love that. Um, okay, do you have a place you would like to travel that you have not yet been to?
0: I have always wanted to go to Japan. I've been to the airport, and that's it, I've never left the airport, <laughs> uh-huh. it's like transiting through. Yeah. And I really want to go to Japan so badly. Do
1: you have a favorite holiday to celebrate?
0: I am a Jew who loves Christmas. I go all out. I mean, crazy, crazy. I love if I could do the lights all over the house, Uh I would. I just haven't yet. But uh, our tree is nuts, stockings, Uh Christmas music. For the moment, Thanksgiving hits, I'm turning on the Christmas music. I'm obsessed with Christmas. um, You guys didn't
1: hang out with my wife and I. Our (laughs) house is like Christmas Wonderland the whole time. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Dogs. That's the right answer. I'm a dog person, and my co-host is not here as a cat person, so this is our eternal struggle. We well, because be having like-
0: a dog is like having a best friend. Yeah. Having a cat is like having a strange roommate who poops in a box. Yeah,
1: exactly. I agree. Uh, do
0: you have a favorite food? I couldn't possibly pick. Um, uh, I, 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 I couldn't pick. I, I, ja- okay, how about this? Do you have a favorite meal? Um, like if I br- could, breakfast, lunch, yeah. dinner? Oh, breakfast or dinner. I skip lunch a lot. Okay. Um, so if I could do like... Chinese food or Thai food and pizza, mm-hmm. followed by freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, nice. that would be paradise.
1: I had some spectacular Thai curry last night and I was very happy with that. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who
0: would you pick? Oh man, that is tough. Uh, I would love to sit down and have, is it dinner or just a conversation? What yeah, are we either doing? Either one, you could do both. Or a drink.
1: I would say all three. If
0: I could have a cocktail, with either James Baldwin or Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. That would be amazing. That's
1: so fantastic. All right, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading Blackwing's Beating?
0: I would not presume to tell them.
1: Wow. I love that. No one has ever said that. That's
0: fantastic. Actually, actually, i have a different answer, though, too.
1: You can uh, do Ten wanna... copies.
0: Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
1: <laughs> this is a blast. Alex, thank you so much for joining
0: us. Oh, it was so my pleasure
2: readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper